welcome back to Stories from the Ashes. I am Amber, and this is Amanda, and we are here today with Anthony from Living Book Press in Australia. I'm just going to give you a heads up. The accent is incoming. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much, (laughs) Amber. It's wonderful to be here with you both. I'm so glad to have you. So, Anthony, Amber has talked about you a lot over the years, but tell me about how you met. Oh, wow. Okay. I think my my recollection and memory is never the most wonderful thing, but we I just released the uh, Charlotte Mason series, um, which had been out of print for quite a few years. And coincidentally, another group had released it at the same time. Fortunately, we'd both taken incredibly different paths in how we presented the books. I'd transcribed into small five by eight um, because I wanted the copies to be portable. As a homeschool parent, mm-hmm. I needed to be able to take them with me so I could quickly read some while the kids were at gymnastics or whatever. Yeah. And they went for sort of, um, yeah, eight and a half by 11 um, large copies. So it was, it was great. We both went completely separate um, use cases, but they were kind of pushing that they were the only authorised editions in throwing shade at my copies and being the, the justice warrior that she <laughs> is, Amber, um, <laughs> Felt the need to comment every single time that was posted, asking what exactly it meant <laughs> and the uh, justification for it, and, and reached out to me as well to ask. And we just kind of started chatting and and became book buddies ever since. So was she this complete stranger on the internet that was commenting as, as, on from stuff? my recollection? Yeah, I I'd had no connection with her at all. Um, yeah, she just was a, a random on the internet who who wanted to make sure that. Uh, things were as they seem. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's very true. I know. I um, I remember the first, the first. I'd seen both copies come out, and I was like, "Oh, how exciting!" They're like in two different sizes. They can serve totally different uses because that bigger size is great if you're like doing a study with one of your teenagers, and it has a ton of space around the edges for people that really take detailed notes. And then the smaller copy for carrying around, and the pink copies. I actually grew up seeing those. My aunt had them. And so the the bigger copies, they just they kept saying that they were the only authorized edition because I'd gotten an email from them. And I was like, oh, well, I don't want to be supporting publishers that aren't authorized because that sounds like maybe somebody stole copyright. And that was during the time period where Ambleside Online, they had had their copies of their transcripts stolen by someone who just published them and I I don't I don't even think they spelled Charlotte Mason's name correctly on the cover like I think it was M-A-S-S-O-N or something and, and there'd been a lot of people mind, upset it still is incorrect like years have gone by and the yes, lack of care that it hasn't been updated <laughs> that really bugs me like yeah. Someone tells me about a typo. I fixed it straight away. Right, right, right. Especially on the cover. Yeah. So I, I did. I reached out to you and I was like, could you just, you know, explain the technicalities that are going on here? And I reached out to them and I emailed them and I was like, what exactly does this mean? And what they, what they had told me was that it meant that they were the only ones that had been authorized by the copy that they had copied to use that copy, but you didn't use that copy and no one else was using that copy. So the insinuation though, that people were taking it to mean was incorrect. And there were no corrections happening when people were taking it the wrong way in the threads. And that just wasn't okay to me because I'm like, 
you know, this is your livelihood and stranger on the internet this is a stranger on the internet's <laughs> livelihood. And you had mentioned that you had done this as an act of love for your wife because she really wanted the copies for herself and couldn't get them and that you'd reached out to people and asked if anyone was publishing them and they weren't. So you went ahead and did it. I was like, this is their beautiful little love story of Charlotte Mason books. And people are insinuating they did something wrong. I would feel terrible if I was his wife. And now that I know Missy, like, I'm sure she felt horrible. And so I was like, I'm just going to like set it straight. So anywhere that I saw it, I, I was, I was just like, what exactly do you mean by authorized? What exactly is this implying? And they did after, after I think it was two weeks, they sent out an email to all of their members clarifying, like all their followers clarifying what exactly they meant by that. And then, then I was able to jump off my, my stallion. But <laughs> I just, these things matter. I feel like words matter, you know, like as somebody who enjoys reading and the English language, this, this stuff matters. But then, yes, we started recommending a lot of your books once we realized they also were authorized in their own way in reshelving Alexandria. <laughs> and I really, I really liked the choices that I, that I saw at that time of what you had. And so, yes, it, it did begin a good friendship. They've definitely been a lifesaver doing the, the AO curriculum mm-hmm. for all the books well, okay. you can't find. I, I'm an AO parent myself, and I, I started doing this for me. Um, it was just I, I couldn't afford a lot of the out-of-print books, and so I thought, well, you know, if I can make it available for other people, I can justify the cost to buy a copy myself to transcribe for others, and then it'll be it'll be cheap for everyone. Uh, well, I was and- so grateful for the people putting this stuff together and everyone on the internet. I couldn't homeschool my boys without all the help. And I, mm-hmm. I'm not an expert to be able to tell other people how to do it, but I saw that the difficulty getting the books or knowing what a good copy was seemed to be quite a big barrier to entry for people. And they just sort of get yes. a bit too overwhelmed when they saw how expensive some things were or that they, they couldn't work out which copy. So that if I can take mm-hmm. that down, it'll make it so much easier for everybody to enjoy these great books and these great curricula that people put together. Absolutely. I bought a copy of Parables from Nature just off Amazon. I had no idea what copy to buy, and I got it in the mail, and it was the most difficult thing to read I have ever had. The tiny, (laughs) tiny type, the lines that have no space in between them, so they're all smooshed together. And you can't hardly read it. Where the P's on the top are hitting the T's on the bottom. (laughs) Yes, exactly. And then I saw that you had a copy and I bought that. And it was like, made my life so much easier. (laughs) And and that was one of my early books I made in in a freeware program. And so I I cringe sometimes at at some of the stuff in there. But with print on demand, the reason they do it so small and with no margins is that you pay per page. And so by giving no margin space and tiny font, they can make the book a lot more affordable for people Mm -hmm. Uh, and so everything is sort of a compromise between okay if I make it bigger adds more pages and adds more cost but it's easier to read and negotiating all of those can be interesting I I like to say sometimes it's the least bad decision that you're making because you know (laughs) which different avenues you'd always make different choices so you're trying to compromise on everything Mm -hmm. yeah I appreciate not wanting to cry when I read your books (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I always think that the the best copy of a book is the one you'll read. And so the ones that are super tiny font, even if it was cheaper, are you going to read it? The beautiful copy that is the original, 
but with a tattered dust jacket and a loose spine. But you know, you have you have the original, are you going to read it? Are you comfortable handing that to your kids? Or is it something that's just going to look nice on your shelf? And there's space for both. Obviously, I have both of a lot. You know, sometimes I have two copies. I have the pretty one for my shelf and the one that my kids can read. But the most useful book is the one that you can read. So, and then you end up with so a third Anthony. copy because you've got almost a whole series matching yeah. units, so you need to yes. get that one. And then you yes. have the fourth copy because they're all such nice hardcovers being done by right. this. And, and right. I, I was I double shelf those, so they're not taking up shelf space. They're sort of mm-hmm. behind the other books, but at least I've got them if I decide, yes, I am going to display that whole collection. Yes, yeah. <laughs> Do you know off the top of your head what book you probably own the most copies of? Oh, I, I've actually been doing a bit of a cull sometimes as I go through my bookcases because yeah. I, I'm running out of space. <laughs> but yeah. I found I had about 12 copies of Tom Sawyer, I think. Um, and and nice. Ben Gables, I've got quite a few. Yeah. If I see an old hardcover with the beautiful woodcut type images, I just yeah. can't help myself. It's impossible to leave it behind. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Well- yeah. 12 copies of Tom Sawyer. Do you have an affinity for Tom Sawyer? That's a very American book. I don't. Uh, I, th- I think it was, you know, I got all of my mum's books when she was downsizing and then I see nice copies at, you know, an estate sale or at a, a thrift shop and I would grab them and, you know, one day I'll get around to sorting out which copy I like best and move on the rest. Mm-hmm. And, it, yeah. you know, it took a long time to get to that point of culling and sorting. You've read it though, right? I have, yes. Because I have the shame of the book that I own the most copies of is a book I've never read. I have (laughs) never read Lorna Doon. But I swear, those are the prettiest books I come across are copies of Lorna Doon. And I'm convinced I'm going to love it, which justifies owning like eight copies of it. (laughs) I I have bought more copies of Lorna Doon, I think, than any other book ever. Yeah, right? They're so pretty. And I... (laughs) I cannot remember the story for the life of me, but every time I see it, I remember one day we were all sick and so we were home from school and mum's sick, but, you know, she's got three restless kids. So I just remember her lying in bed reading Lorna Doon to us and and bawling her eyes out. Um, just, you know, the, the tissues went from us all blowing her nose to mum wiping her eyes. And, and that is all I remember, but it's just such a, a wonderful memory yeah. with mum that every time I see it, I buy a copy. And I must have given mum about 20 copies because she asked me to please stop. Yeah. Because <laughs> that was just don't... my little connection. <laughs> yeah. I don't have a single copy of Lorna Dune, so I just need to swipe one from one of you guys. Yeah, you just pop over to Amber's place and she won't even realize. <laughs> true i'm still unpacking from the fire so if you just like snagged one from the box i wouldn't even know did it survive did it not survive oh look amanda has the same copy lucky girl (laughs) just grab a whole box and you know that's funny so anthony i like to get to know people that are on our show through books that they've loved so what are three of your favorite books oh wow okay doesn't have to be the three favorite because that's really stressful, but just three of. <laughs> no, okay. So first book that came to mind is The Diggingest Dog, uh, the, the classic Dr. Zeus book, just mm-hmm. because I am back with my grandmother every single time I even see that book. I'm not yeah. a visual person. I can't, picture my, I can't picture my wife's face in my head when I close my eyes, but I can see scenes from that book probably because I was so puzzled about how the dog could replace all of the road and the flowers and everything as he's reading (laughs) 
been going back. And, and as a little four-year-old, I pondered that for so long trying to work it out. But, um, yeah, just because I'm back with my grandmother, that's just got a real soft spot for me. I think another is <laughs> I'm a sucker for crime writing. Um, a lot of these books uh, are probably more emotional connections and what they remind me of than the book themselves. But uh, Lawrence Block writes a lot of crime novels and he has a series about an alcoholic ex-cop who just sort of is a drinking his time away and does favours for people who need some help. And just the way that he writes things I found fascinating and, and half the time the climax is he just sort of goes in and says, you know, why'd you do it? And they'll say, and he says, come on, we head down the station. And they're like, yeah, okay. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's more the adventure and the, the finding things out and the, the sides of humanity and just getting to see such a different life to my own. Um, mm-hmm. uh, a lot of the, the author was an alcoholic himself and so when he got sober, so does the character in the book. And I think there's a lot of... wow. You know, the the character growth, I think, is quite autobiographical. And it was just yeah. fascinating to me seeing that different side of life, so different to my own. Yeah, and, that sounds very cool. Yeah. And, and I think thirdly, oh, wow, Mouse, the uh, graphic novel's Mouse. And not just uh, for the, you know, powerful Holocaust story and things like that, but as I read it, I think what really struck home to me is the we're all dealing with what we've been through in the past and if we're not careful, we pass that on to the children. Um, if you're not familiar, it's a story a guy wrote about his parents' experience in concentration camps, but the characters are all portrayed by animals. So the Jews are mice and the Germans are cats and the Polish are pigs and the Americans, I believe, are the dogs coming in to, to save the day. And so he gets to show a lot of quite traumatic things, but in a way that gets through your guard because they're animals. But there's a scene where he's dealing with his father and they're packing a bag to go away and his dad is pulling everything out of his suitcase saying, no, you pack like this and you put these socks inside these shoes and you fold it. And just his father's trauma of knowing that you have to be packed with as much as you can, as efficiently as you can, because you may have all you can take is what you can carry. And just how that was still haunting him and affecting how he did his life so, so much longer is a realisation I think flowed into so many other parts of my life as I realised that if I'm not careful, I'll continue to do those things because of my trauma. And also that I can yeah. give forgiveness to other people because it's their trauma. It's not that they're getting angry or whatever. So I think that's a favourite for me because of those extra things as well as the power of the story. That's beautiful. I can't remember the title of it. I'll have to message it to you and add it to the show notes. Unlike you, I'm very visual, so I can see the cover. It's a little girl, and she's got the big yellow star on her, and it's very like cartoony because it's a graphic novel. I think it's called Hidden, but Amazon's not pulling anything up. But it's one of my favorite graphic novels that I've read with my kids because it addresses the exact same thing that you're talking about, that generational trauma. And so the it opens with the grandma waking up during the night, having had a night terror, and the granddaughter wakes up because she hears her and she's talking to her and the grandma doesn't want to talk. And the little girl's basically like, you know, just tell me. And so the grandma does and tells her her story and they go back to bed and the grandma's able to sleep. And then the next morning at breakfast, the granddaughter says something to the dad about how last night grandma told her her story from during the war. And then the little girl like runs off, not really thinking anything about it. 
And the dad is floored because his mother never told him. And this is just something that she's been carrying, unable to share the burden of. And so then she, that's opened the door now for her to share with her son. And you're just seeing this, like this generational change that's happening through her no longer carrying that alone. And I'm like tearing up. Uh, absolutely. <laughs> but like, you're, you're right. Like those are really powerful um, stories that, you know, yes, they're about the Holocaust, but the, the concept of generational trauma is something that a lot of people can, can see a reflection that's for themselves. And, and I think that's, that's the power of books and mm-hmm. not even just what we'd consider living books. I think we can get that sometimes from, from other books as well. But mm-hmm. I, I grew up, I mean, I'm, I'm a white male. I'm a doctor's son. So I was sort of a, a higher socioeconomic group than most of my peers at school. Life was pretty easy for me. And I think through both being fortunate enough to travel, but also reading books, it reminds me that my normal wasn't normal. And I don't think anybody's mm-hmm. normal is normal. And mm-hmm. we all feel the way that we feel about things for a reason. We have the opinions we do for a reason, whether it's our upbringing, our experiences, what, whatever it be. And so just to have that understanding and compassion, being able to read a book and I can be a 1950s African-American experiencing mm-hmm. a different side of life than I could now and just have some understanding that we all have different experiences and what yeah. we're feeling is for a reason. Yeah. Good authors will definitely transport you straight into that character's experience. That's it. And I mean, even reading AO3, you're doing Children of the New Forest and you're sympathizing with one side of the fight. But then when you're reading Our Island Story, you're kind of sympathizing with the other side of the fight. But we're all a hero of our own story. And right. <laughs> so it's yeah. good to sort of get that grayness of life, I think. Yeah. <laughs> and I not, do not appreciate that. Yeah, I do appreciate that about Ambleside Online, how they select their history books, because sometimes you'll hear people in forums saying, you know, we're reading this book and it seems very one-sided and I'm concerned that my kids are going to come out thinking like this is the the only side of the story and everyone's encouraging them. It's like, no, just keep reading through the books. Your kids are going to end up, you know, they're going to start here in their play. They're going to be like, you know, I'm all for this side of the story, you know, and then like the next week they're going to be like, uh, now I'm for this side of the story. And as they're maturing, they're going to be able to like integrate that and say, you know, maybe this is what the story really was, was both sides had that's it. you know had equal equal truth right uh, like there's there's truth and then there's true and so it's it's like it's both sides are true <laughs> and then you get to doing history and you go wow throughout all time it has been the virtuous good group that has won every single war just about it. it's the awful <laughs> heathens who are killing babies you know do whatever else and then they go, hang on, no, maybe history is written by the victor. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Maybe they're not as good as they thought and they're not yeah. as bad as they thought. And, <laughs> you know, yeah. it's, uh, oh, it's funny. <laughs> it's, so yeah, it, it's, in, it's incredible. <laughs> so I want, I want to talk about the publishing that you've done. And I think it's really exciting that you were able to save C.K. Thompson's nature books from basic oblivion can you touch on t- on that experience that was a, a lot of fun um so when, when I first started I never intended to be publishing big time I was just unable to afford these books and they were recommended a lot in Australia they cost over a week's in full income 
um, to get them if they did come up secondhand. So there's no way most of us could could justify that. And so I started trying to track down the authors in this sort of manic fit of, yes, I'm going to do something. <laughs> um, and I, I knew nothing. So I just started trying to work out, okay, what can I learn about these people and doing internet searches and, and gravestones are a fantastic thing to look at, obituaries and gravestones. And so I found his um, gravestone, which mentioned his son and daughter, and his son had died just a little bit earlier, and I couldn't find too much there. But um, his daughter's name I found, and so searching, I, I see made a comment on an internet forum about 12 years previously, where in true old lady style, she'd included her email and address in the comment. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, Please just, respond here. <laughs> that's it, exactly. The naivety of the in early internet. Yes. Um, uh-huh. this, yeah, it was in that 2005 type of thing. Yeah. And amazingly enough, she still had the same ISP provided email address. And so that's how I managed to start being able to republish all of his books. Uh, although I actually just found out the other day that, um, the one that's most commonly recommended by him, Old Bob's Birds, was actually written by Will Lawson, who oh. got rejected um, at Dimmix, who published it eventually, <laughs> and gave it to his friend CK, <laughs> who then submitted it himself. But CK, CK used to write about a book a week um, under different wow. names. So so there was, you know, the old detective magazines that you may have seen uh-huh. in Oxford. He would sometimes have written every single story in the Australian ones of those just under different pseudonyms. He was a, a journalist who used to do the crime beat as well as a, do you have justices of the peace there? They're sort of the people who can mm-hmm. sign stuff and authorise yes. things. He started yeah. the uh, the local chapter of those around here and he was a mad bird lover who used to breed birds and all that type of thing. So he was just a real character. Yeah, he'd, he'd be churning out book after book in different genres and crime things, and they would swap books back and forth sometimes if one of them got rejected. <laughs> <laughs> and it would get approved by the same publisher just under the different oh. author's name, which um, is oh, a thing that Lawrence Block, who I mentioned earlier, used to do as well. They used to play cards with different crime writers, and they whoever lost the hand would have to go write the next chapter. And over a weekend, they'd finish a crime book and then they'd, they'd work out a pseudonym to use and send it off to one of the uh-huh. publishers and him and Don Weslake and a few others would just, yeah, do it all together. So oh, the lesson is if you don't succeed with a publisher, just submit the same book under a different name. <laughs> yeah. Oh, they, they, were, they were very different days back then, that's for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, um, it's incredible. So yeah. a quick question. You mentioned that when you started, you couldn't afford these books. And so you kind of started this as a side project. Were you doing something else for a living at that time? Uh, yeah. So Did- I had a head injury um, in high school. Um, okay. I was sort of 97% in physics, chemistry, top English, all that kind of nonsense. I was one of those really annoying people who just didn't put in any <laughs> Sounds like it. at all. Yeah. <laughs> I And I, I was the obnoxious kid who was told to please stop answering the year three kids' maths questions. They don't like a kindergarten kid doing that. Um, and I thought, but they couldn't answer them. They didn't know the answer. I waited for them to have a chance to say it. And he's like, just, I know, just be quiet, please. Um, I, I had no idea. Anyway, I had a head injury and took the rest of the year off and went back to school 
And my, my results went from sort of the 97% to the 23% because I just could not retain any new information. So I'd have to deduce all my formulas freshly from the ones I knew before. Mm-hmm. Or in English, I might be writing a book review on Tom Sawyer and I'd forget Tom's name. <laughs> and so I'd just like put brackets, I'll call him Fred, this is his role in the book. Yeah. Yeah, and just by you know rewording the question for the introduction, and then I'd flip the page over and I'd reword the question as the conclusion again and get eight out of twenty because you know English is half bluffing. Um, <laughs> and the teachers just took me aside and said, you know, it's no point continuing with school. We recommend mm. you you pull out. So yeah. I then met Missy, and we her her father was a professional sax player. He used to do um, lead um, on all the cruise ships and then he led the big jazz band in Sydney and he did a lot of recording and touring for people like Shirley MacLaine and other artists. He'd be the, the lead wind player and organise the band for them. But he saw the writing on the wall for that sort of industry. I mean, they're still getting paid the same dollars now that they were 40 years ago, but it's, it's buying a lot less. So he became a repairer. And so Missy's folks had a, a woodwind and brass repairing shop and asked if I wanted to go into business with them. So we had a musical instrument store. I, I play guitar, Missy plays drums and piano. And so we were doing that. But I wasn't coping. I ended up, I'd sort of be catatonic, just about in bed for six weeks a year, just not handling all the the stress. And I think, well, we realise now it's the um the masking that I was doing, trying to act normal and like I was coping and that the stimulation would get just too much. Yep. And so um, after sort of having a breakdown and, and being at home for a year and then just doing what I could from home, her parents were wanting to start to retire. So we, we sold that and I was on a, a government pension just trying to work out what I could do. I'd, I'd worked at a, an industrial laundry, but um, the white noise and constant chaos there just <laughs> destroyed me. And so I was actually just feeling really useless. And then I, I was playing with the boys and they jumped on my my back and I was in a fair bit of pain. So I went to the doctor and I, I got some, some pain relief. But I had a very rare reaction to that and ended up with hepatitis. Mm-hmm. So I was, I was in bed really sick. Missy's trying to work out how to make our land work for us. So she was out hand digging all the garlic beds so that we could try to do a garlic crop. And feeling absolutely useless and wanting to do something to help contribute and help Missy get their Charlotte Mason books was what inspired me to to do those books because it wouldn't take the physical effort that everyone was warning me not to do while I was having my, my insides not working right. And so that was, yeah, it was really just wanting to pay forward the help I was getting and feel I was contributing because I was feeling that I was, I was you know, unable to do anything at all. Yeah. So, yeah, I wasn't doing anything at the time. Yeah, that's amazing. My dad had a really bad head injury too and still has a lot of difficulty with it. And he planned my wedding oh, during nice. his recovery time when yeah. he couldn't do anything. <laughs> but that's, uh, that's uh, starting a whole new publishing house is major. Well, it, it was that was never meant to happen. So it was just, you know, <laughs> one or two books to try and, and help out. And I just kept mm-hmm. going. But I mean, the, the whole reason we really looked at homeschooling is that Every time I'd crash, I'd feel I never got back up to sort of 90, 95% of where I was before. So I was just feeling like there was this gradual decline. And I wanted to be able to spend the time with my boys and have those memories of sitting around reading books to them. And so, you know, if, if dad's a vegetable, you know, rocking in the corner, well, at least we had these memories when we were young mm-hmm. getting to do this. 
And I mean, I've been lucky now that we've sort of worked out a bit more what was going on and been able to put things in place. COVID lockdowns was amazing for um, introverts like me who had uh-huh. an excuse then not to have to do anything and, and see everyone. Yeah. And everyone goes, you know, yeah. what about people's mental health? I'm like, no, we have had no time in the last 200 years. This is our year for our mental health to be looked after. You yeah, get all the rest absolutely. of the time. What about our mental health when you guys are fine? Yeah. yeah. So, so yeah. I, I, um, yeah, I quite, I've loved it. No, I, I agree. I know that obviously not to downplay COVID at all for no, no. The, the losses that a lot of people experienced, but it, it was very beneficial for our family as well. Yep. The beginning of 2020 is when I was, I was having my mental breakdown complete. And that's when I started the EMDR therapy for the childhood trauma and PTSD. And Eric was working from home. And so he was able to just basically carry the family. He was cooking and cleaning and taking care of the kids and and working. And then I was just comatose healing yeah. and processing and going to therapy and coming home and journaling and listening to music and just processing, processing, processing. And they don't tell you when your body is healing, it has to sleep more. Like it doesn't oh, have exhausting. a choice because it's exhausting work. Healing is not some, you know, oh, I just went for no. a run through the field and came back feeling so refreshed. Like, no, it's like I went through, it. for a run through the field being chased by three bears and a fox. And I was like uh-huh. exhausted at the exactly. end of it. I could barely move. So, yeah. I so ate it, a meal that wasn't cereal was. today. That is a victory. <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah, and that that was much the same for us as well. Um, We've had a lot of yeah uh, interesting conflicts, sort of with extended family and the like. And it's uh, having the space. I think also with life slowing down gave us room to I think deal with a lot of the things that had just sort of been been lurking. And then Missy, she ended up in hospital for a while last year, and then broke her wrist. And they found that she um, her ulna is too long. And so it had crushed all of the cartilage in there. And so now it was just bone scraping on bone, which is why she'd always had so much pain. So then they had to take a a quarter inch out of her ulna and put a metal plate in and and join that back together. And then she's recently had the plate taken back out. And I think there's no way without everything shutting down, we would have had time both to do our our emotional and healing from all the other things, as well as her physical stopping and being able to do that. Make hay when the sun shines, Dave. You do yes, what you can and yes. <clears throat> make the most of the different seasons. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Going back to what you said earlier about reading gravestones, if my memory serves, isn't that also how you worked through the Comroff books? <laughs> yeah, Comroff was fun. He was a fascinating character. Uh, I, I, yeah. And so I, his ones, I, I worked through that and found his, his wife um, that he'd left his estate to. So then I had to go through trying to track down her wills and get the probate records for that and I actually was going to ask Amber to help me with the courthouse stuff because each little area in um, the US has their own sort of system and you have to you can't do it online yeah (laughs) Um, but I'd managed to find his niece which was fantastic because she sort of had a bit more sway to go and and track that down and we found Columbia University held the rights to his stuff but being such a, a massive university with billions of dollars in endowments and the rest, they don't really need the uh, pittance that they will get from the Conroff royalties. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> so it was very difficult to um, 
to get the contracts worked out. And it, it took his niece sort of jumping up and down and <laughs> going yeah. into bat for me to get anything signed. And then it took two years for them to finally send me how I could start to pay them royalties. Like, I've got this, yeah. I've got this money aside for you. How can I pay you? Like, oh, yeah, we'll get to it. <laughs> so, oh, yeah, having, having that family connection was, was very, very beneficial. Which of Kamroff's books have you published? Uh, so far, I've only done Marco Polo. Um, that was okay. the one I was really after because it seemed to be the one most recommended and mm-hmm. most unable to find with Ampleside online. So. And that's the one that my aunt did the maps for, right? Wasn't that the first time it that you was, worked yes. with my aunt? It was the first time I worked with Gloris and she did the map and she did some beautiful interior illustrations, but I she didn't manage to get to finish the rest of them. So I've just got them sitting here on my hard drive, <laughs> admiring them. <laughs> they are, she's, she are, exactly. But the, um, the work she's doing at the moment for, for a British book is just delightful. She's uh, very talented. I've been seeing those in her stories on Facebook, and I'm very excited for that book to come out. It, it look really looks like nice. it'll be great, yeah. Uh, Inara actually got to be the hand model for Lady of the Lake. Oh, so wonderful, the holding Lake the sword has, up has there. Has her yes. arm up holding the sword. Inara, when we were at Matt and Amanda's house, and Matt got a sword out, and Inara like, sat there on the chair with it, and we took pictures and sent them to Gloris. So. Oh, that's brilliant. That is, that is Matt's favorite yeah. sword, so... Yeah. <laughs> That will live in infamy too, I guess. Yeah, yes. <laughs> that's awesome. So, does it happen very often that you end up sitting on royalties because you have a hard time paying them out? Not too often, no. Usually, I'm working with family estates, which is much easier for me because I, I, it's they good to have contracts money? so that everybody knows what page you're on. But I mean, mm-hmm. there's it's not worth getting a lawyer to sue somebody for the the small amounts that we're talking about. So for me, it, while I love having it signed because it means that you know what to expect from me and I know what to expect from you, it's really just, you know, if, if a rights holder suddenly decided that they weren't happy with what I was doing, I wouldn't care that I still had however many years left on the contract. Because I was like, no, right. it's fine, let's just forget it. So I love working yeah. with family estates because they're easy and I just, you know, if they want quarterly payments, I'll give them quarterly payments, you know. If they're a bit short for a bill one month and they call me up and I say, oh, that's cool, I'll just <laughs> send what I've got now. Yeah. And so that's really easy. Um, working with big publishers as I'm starting to now is a bit more difficult. I mean, you've got all their payment details and the likes and they only get paid once a year, so that's quite easy. They usually just give you everything up front. I think with Comroff, it's just that the university had been bequeathed all of his rights and it's not a situation they were used to being in because it wasn't just the university, right. it was the rare books library within mm. the university. And so I think they just didn't know what to do and so then they're coordinating with different aspects of the university trying yeah. to sort that out and it just yeah. got tricky. So being in Australia, your some of the books come into copyright or come out of copyright and back into public domain sooner than they do in the States. So I know that you on Amanda's question about copyrights and finding the people that deserve them, you were having some challenges initially with uh, the Book of Marvels by Halliburton when you brought that one back in because it was legal to have it being sold in Britain and Australia, but then people that wanted it in the US, it it was still under copyright here, but people had found like one bookseller that was doing the print-on-demand that would send it to them. And so now you had book copies that were being sold in the US, even though you were intentional at not selling them to the U.S. since you didn't have the copyright laws. So I loved that process that you went through. And that was that was actually 
when I was just like, you know what, this is an honorable seller right here, because I knew that you were putting aside royalties from all the sales that were happening in the States, so that when you did finally find the people that deserved them, that you would be able to give them to them. So can you tell us about finally finding the people that that deserved the royalties? (laughs) Man, that was a very frustrating experience. (laughs) Yeah. I'd made a few inquiries and had no response. And so then I went down a different path um, of the people trying to track down the rights holders based on who'd last published the book. And they thought they had the rights. And so then they're searching through their archives, trying to find it. And we sort of spent a year or so there. And they're like, oh, no, hang on. We don't have the rights. They were reverted Mm -hmm. to this old bank back in like 1960-something. And so then I'm spending hours on the phone to this bank trying to sort out because the bank had been bought by about five other banks before ending up as part of some huge, you know, conglomerate taking over half of, of the state. And so then trying to find the person who could help me there and then they eventually say, yep, no, there's nothing we can do and just dead end after dead end. And then I went back to the very first thing that I tried with no response and got a response and had a contract within about two weeks. <laughs> so, <Yeah. laughs> like two and a half years. Yeah. <laughs> Banging your head against the wall. That's it. <laughs> yeah, yes. It was, it's almost like one of those anticlimactic stories where it's like, it's it was. Like, that's we it. Climbing, climbing. Oh, and then we were just there. We were there. It was done. Yeah. It was over. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. It, it was one of those, you know, work, 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 and, you know, you're pushing the, the rock up the hill yeah. and then yeah. it falls back down and, and you see that there's this elevator next to it that you can just push something into it. Head up. It wasn't just you. A lot of people were looking for the rights to that book. Mm. And because previously the world is split up into so many different regions for both TV mm-hmm. show and movie distribution and book areas. And that works well when you've got a new release book because a region often knows what cover will work better for them and, and that type of thing. So they'll, they'll buy their regional rights from whoever has the initial, initial um, contracts. But with books like this, it's kind of pointless, especially in today's age with so much cross-border trade with things like books. And so when you've got copyright changing in, in different areas as well, in Canada is life plus 50. So there's so much that's public mm-hmm. domain in Canada that isn't in the US or, or anywhere else. And with right. the US consistently having changed their rules and making it more difficult. In Australia, we went from life plus 50 to life plus 70, but nothing went back under copyright that had made it to mm-hmm. the public domain. And so we've still got another six or seven years before anything new will be entering the public domain here. And in, I mean, I'm, I'm waiting for Disney to start another, another lawsuit and try to push it further. <laughs> no, uh, I was going to say our laws are the way they are all because of Disney. <laughs> oh, lobbying. Oh, anyway, don't even get uh-huh. me started. So while it's legal, there was a big case with textbooks because they are so ridiculously expensive. There yeah. were people who just, were... Just one second, Anthony. Yeah. People might not realize this. So the copyright laws are the way they are. What we're saying is because of Disney's lobbying to get them the way they are because they want to protect their copyright on Mickey Mouse. So that's that's why things that's are it. as dramatic as they are. So that, that's what we were oh, referring to just Mouse. for people who that's don't it. know is to protect the Mickey Mouse image. But, so. And... Even when it does enter the public domain, it's only the stuff from that year that enters public domain. So when Superman Mm -hmm. enters the public domain, if nothing changes, 
You can't have him flying because originally he only jumped over things. Can't have Kryptonite because that was introduced later on. Can't have Lex Luthor and a lot of the villains because they were introduced later mm-hmm. on. So you you have to only work with the Superman available from material back then and make sure you don't touch on anything from later on. And so it's it's a minefield. Um, they're finding that yeah. with yeah some of the sci-fi books and Tarzan and that kind of thing that are in the public domain, mm-hmm. but then there's mm-hmm. a lot of characteristics that aren't that people still expect. Yeah. So it can get messy. But there was a a case with textbooks where people were buying them um, cheaply overseas and then selling them in America. And uh, a big case went right up to the Supreme Court who found that it's legal to sell books from other regions in the US. And so it was fine for me to sell them there. I couldn't couldn't distribute to shops (laughs) um, and Amazon or anything there. But I could sell them myself. So I am, but I want to follow the, the spirit of the law rather than the letter mm-hmm. of the law. I, back in, in Bible study class, that was when I enjoyed arguing over loopholes and that kind of thing as a, as a teen growing up, <laughs> yeah. as we all do, just, yeah. just for the fun of the argument. Yes, um, yes. But I mean, for me, what really matters is what they're trying to achieve. And especially mm-hmm. as a parent, I'm realizing how much more important that is than the words that I say is the spirit of what yeah. I'm trying to, to do. And so I wanted to keep royalties aside so that I could do that. So I, I made a different item on my website um, with a different code so that US orders could only purchase that one and the rest of the world the other. So I could keep that aside for, for when I did track them down. Can you tell us more about the spirit of the law versus the letter of the law in the publishing world and what you've seen amongst small publishers specifically that have come up in the last few years? You cannot copyright what they call sweat of the brow. So if mm-hmm. I transcribe a public domain book and release the transcription online, anyone is free to do with that as they wish. However, I publish to a really small pond. I mean, mm-hmm. I'm a, I'm a medium-sized fish in a really, for my really tiny pond that <laughs> I'm swimming yes. in here. <laughs> and there's a couple of others who, who also swim in this pond. So um, places mm-hmm. like Yesterday's Classics, while I could go and buy their ebook collection and in an afternoon format 20 books just by scraping their information and putting it up, I couldn't sleep with myself at night. It's not like right. I'm taking a huge book and selling it in another area. Anything that I put out would be cannibalizing their sales and I will not go and take their work and cannibalize their sales using yeah. their work. Because I just couldn't sleep at night. I don't pay any attention to what other publishers have released because I just work through what I need for myself. And if someone asks me for something, I look at doing that. I don't don't intentionally go out to compete with anybody. I just try to do my own thing. My my first books I didn't even put up for sale in the US. It was just for Australian people because I figured you guys had other folks there and, mm-hmm. and didn't need me doing anything. But then people kept asking, so I, so I did. Because I, I really don't like treading on toes. <laughs> so I, I think I try to stay willfully ignorant of, of what other people are, are publishing because of that. So anyway, yeah, I while I could and it would be legal for me to do that, mm-hmm. I won't because yeah. I, I can't cannibalize their work and make money for myself off that. And, and I've always felt that way, but then I was sort of had an experience where someone did take my carefully transcribed and reformatted Charlotte Mason series 
And and the difficulty with them is reformatting it to match the originals. Quite a few people had released transcriptions before, some of them just taking the, the work from Ambleside online, including their copyrighted annotations. But <clears throat> um, with this, I'd, I'd spent hundreds of hours making sure it was all formatted like the original. And so then to see that someone had just ripped the PDF that I'd given away to try and, and help the community and was selling it in competition with me, it's such a niche product that anything that is bought then is cannibalizing my sales. And that kind of upset me because it limits the amount of work I can do to promote other books, like to, to buy rights to other books and that type of thing. Right. Yeah. I think that some of the things that people don't think about when they're buying from these small publishers is like you were saying about C.K. Thompson's books. His books would have been a week's income for families in Australia to buy them. And so somebody spent a week's income to get that book and then format it and edit it and get it all ready and print it out. So even if somebody else comes and just takes that work, they now haven't spent that investment, that initial investment into sourcing and getting the work mm-hmm. and doing it. It, it makes me think of, um, we talked to Kelly recently, Kelly Froisland, who did the yes. Anna Comstock <laughs> Little Notebooks. Those were not easy to find. Those are not easy to find the originals of it all. Huge amount of work talking to universities and everything. Huge amount. Yes, exactly. And if somebody just took them and just republished them themselves, then they would be stealing her work ethically. So it's, you know, there's, there's what's technically legal versus morally ethical is an issue that we see. And you brought up yesterday's classics. There's quite a few books that she's the only one. She's worked so hard that she's and the only person who has those available out there. So if somebody else starts publishing those books, it's a clear sign that they took them from her. Uh, they, they have either taken them from her or else they've found another original copy and they've transcribed right. it and, and done the work themselves. Yeah. Right, which is very rare. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's a lot of work. I mean, the Charlotte Mason yeah. series is over... I mean, not counting any of the appendixes, and I mean, school education is almost half appendix. But yeah, yeah, I think altogether there's over eight hundred thousand words. Mm-hmm. So it, it's a huge job to photograph every page and and run the OCR and then go through doing like reformatting it all and and yeah. checking everything's correct and adding italics and bolding and all the rest. Yeah. Well, I just want you to know, Reshelving Alexandria has always stood behind you and your books because you've been so upfront about your processes and you've been so clear and and honest in your dealings with publishers and families. And we just really respect that and appreciate having a company that we, we can recommend to other people and help support in Kickstarters and different fundraising that you do for larger projects. So we just, we really appreciate all your effort and all your work and it it doesn't go unnoticed. And Amanda was (laughs) complaining last night. She's like, I got a bone to pick with Anthony when we see him because what book was it that you needed that just came out that you needed it last year? The the Heather one? How the Heather looks. How the Heather looks. I've been needing that and it's like waiting and waiting, waiting for it to come out. And now that we finished the school year, it's out. Yeah. that took years because I I managed to find out because the ebook was available online and so I, I know con- and then it wasn't well, available I, when I needed it. Yeah, <laughs> well, I, I kept contacting the publisher saying, "Listen, are you going to make a physical copy? People would really like a physical copy." 
and they just get saying, so do you mind sharing with me who has the right so that I can try to get a physical copy? And so they did. It was um, Penguin Canada, I think, or one of the big companies, Canada's division. And so I kept contacting them and contacting them with no reply. And when you've just got their generic one, it's sort of, they say we expect six to eight weeks to get an email back. And so you yeah. wait till after that, nothing happens, send another one. And they said that they were um, in the process of returning the rights to the estate. And so I was like, okay, got to wait for that to happen. But mm-hmm. soon as uh-huh. soon as they got the rights, it, it all moved really quickly, which was lovely. Yeah. They were, they were wonderful to work with. So I've got the audio. I was listening to another chapter of the audiobook samples this morning and going through making any comments. So it's it's exciting getting that one out. That is exciting. I'm going to have to fit that into our next homeschool cycle. Oh, I, I really recommend it. It's a it's a wonderful, wonderful book. I think when will the audio book be out? I'm hoping, um, I was hoping at the end of this month, but the, the narrator has had COVID and so she's oh. so had to take a few weeks off. She's just getting back up into, into the run of things now. So there's still a chance for the end of this month, but probably mid-July. Okay. Well, that'll be, that'll be good timing. We can listen to it over the summer then. That's it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, it's, it's, I, I really do. I'd go so far to say it's probably my favorite book of mine that I've republished and, until they sort of oh, said really? the books are marvels. But I think now how the heather looks, yeah. Oh, really? That's that's a good recommendation. I think there's just something. Uh, do you know what it's about at all? No. Okay, <laughs> I should so, know, but I was just going to figure out what it was about when I was reading it. Yeah, no, this woman and I her husband. Read it. I assumed it was poetry. I <laughs> know <laughs> oh, it sounds like that. It's, and then they get the title from the line of poetry. I so, think it's labeled geography under AO. Yes. Is it labeled geography? So I mean, it's it's geography, um, travel essays, literary criticism. It's basically the, the author and her husband take their nine-year-old son and two-year-old daughter on a trip to England to try and track down the locations of all the famous stories that they grew up loving. And so the first chapter, they're going around finding all the locations where Randolph Caldecott used for inspiration for drawing his books. So they find the streets that you have that they are walking down in his picture books and and, all, and sharing their experiences of it. And then they go and try to find Camelot or they're walking around Tintagel or all these other wonderful things. They go and find the um like the locations that they wrote about for Wind in the Willows. Mm-hmm. Okay. They they. They talk to the author of Swallows and Amazons about Wildcat Island and exactly actually where Wildcat Island is. And they talk to Mrs. Milne about the Thousand Acre Wood and, and get to go to the the actual wood that was in the author's mind as he was writing his books. Yeah. And so do you so, have a, now I want to read that. Well, <laughs> now, now I really want a list of these places so yeah. I can make sure that we read those books before <laughs> so ahead of time. That book. Well, yeah. a lot of them I mean, a lot of people are familiar with wind in the willows and, and yeah. Robert stevenson they go see where yeah. he's born and, and if you've read swallows and amazons so that, a lot of them are ones that we are kind of familiar with yeah it's, a lot of them could pop up in the yo curriculum it's it's great i, I make circles and like yep published that one already published that one already Oop, that's on the list yeah. <laughs> how many books do you have on your list to publish uh okay so i've I realized that my system wasn't working, so I'm starting to do it properly, like so I know where books are up to. And I've got over 200 that I've either got the text kind of ready or the images that I've scanned and started to clean. I jump between projects, you know, I'll be 
mm-hmm. going through something and someone goes, hey, could you do this for me? I really need it for next term. And I'm like, oh, they say lots of nice things about me online and have been really supportive sending me typos. <laughs> I'll do that. Is that <laughs> wait, wait, wait. Is that the key? Because I asked you to publish Life of the Spider and you still haven't done it. So I know, And then, I and then Jill, Jill, I've got Jill my did it. The Jill well, did it. No. <laughs> now he has oh, to defend no. his honor, Amanda. I learned the key. The key was I didn't I had say to, um, enough nice stuff. I, I have it on my bookcase right here, but I want to add color pictures right through it. I, I want to give it the handbook and nature study treatment. Oh, and, nice. And so my goal is to have it for this school year. Um, we shall, we shall well, see what happens. You're too late. I, I already <laughs> bought Jill's copy, and Good. it was it's, it's also delightful. And so, so I'm uh, sure my wife. I, I sell a lot of Jill's books here in Australia, and oh, my wife you? will be unpacking the books. She's, oh, this is gorgeous! You didn't show me this. It's Jill's. Oh, okay. Sorry, honey. <laughs> <laughs> Look at this. This is so nice. That's also Jill's. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm sorry. Jill is. Jill is the owner of Purple House Press, just for people listening, and we do love her books so much as well. Yes. She she specifically does a lot of picture books in hardcover that have been out of print for a long time. Specifically, she started with the five in a row curriculum. So if you use five in a row, you're probably using Jill's books. Uh, she does a, a beautiful job, and I she she's, mm-hmm. she's my best publishing friend. We We chat most days about different things and frustrations and giving each other tips yeah. and I can lean on <laughs> on her knowledge on some areas and she leans on mine and others and it's we never actually talk about the books we're working on um because I don't it doesn't matter we don't want to influence each other or anything like that yeah. and we talked before we even really did too much and like you know it will come up that we publish the same book and that's okay mm-hmm. like we're not mm-hmm. telling each other what we're doing to like one of us is jumping in mm-hmm. to do it it just happens and while there's some overlap in our sort of Venn diagram of our, our audience, there's a lot that mm-hmm. isn't, and, and that's yeah. okay. It, well, and it's really, nice yeah. for people to have the options. The Life of the Spider that she did has uh, black and white line drawings, which are beautiful, mm-hmm. but years ago they are, the color. I was trying to beautiful. find those line drawings. Too. Yeah, I would have released it if I'd been able to find those line drawings. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> but I couldn't. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And so then I'm like, okay, cool, I'll wait, and I'll, I'll do a whole stack of Fabry's books with the uh, the new color images. And, and oh, nice. Well, it's great to have both Very options. Cool. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. I remember when you asked me to introduce you to Jill and I was like, yes, this is going to go so well. That was, I was trying to remember how that all, all came about. But yeah. yeah. It's like, I'm, I well, just. I asked you to do a book and you were like, you had the rights to it or you, you had access right. to the publisher and you were like, but I think Jill would do it better. And you're like, can you introduce me to Jill? So I introduced you to Jill and then Jill did publish that book. That might have been Pharaoh's quote. Maybe my oh, oh yeah yeah yeah, yeah. I was boats. because mm-hmm. there's the the bifold like there's the four page spread looking at the boats. Well, that's what it was. You asked it. me if I thought you should publish it, and I said I think Jill should. And yeah, you're like, yeah. I need to be Jill. So, no, yeah. because there was no way I could do that with with yeah, how I have things I set up, and so then right. I met Jill, and then I yeah. decided to pass on a lot of books to Jill. Yeah. <laughs> Just yeah, I think I. After releasing the Charlotte Mason series, I was in bed for like two months. Like I had sort of had my crash as, mm-hmm. as happens. And, and I've learned to judge things a bit better now, but I've also worked out my triggers and things that are going to, to make things worse. And so when I tracked down a couple of landmark rights holders 
I knew that I would get a barrage of questions about why isn't it the same size as the originals? Why uh-huh. didn't you get the same artwork as the originals? Mm-hmm. Why isn't it this and that? And I mean, you, you can't print the same size as those originals. Paper now is thinner. Yeah. We can't print on the old style paper, so it's going to be different. It's a separate copyright for the covers to track down and buy. Mm-hmm. There, it's just there's all the copyright branding for landmarks that stop right. us being able to do those. There's so many things. And I just knew the amount of work it took. They're valid questions for people to ask. I have no problem with it. But that would start. It sounds to- like you're saying that all of the book readers are very high needs, which we are. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> absolutely. And 99% of people are absolutely beautiful and amazing and patient. But I just knew that I would get frustrated dealing yeah. um, with that understandable disappointment. Mm-hmm. It's okay when it's phrased politely, but um, sometimes <laughs> people, you know. Don't just send yeah. me a, a vomit emoji and say, is this the new covers? Because I'm one person and, and that hurts. I love constructive criticism. I absolutely adore it. I am not my books. Like, you find a typo, let me know so I can fix it. Like, I'd rather know so yeah. things are right. Oh, but, and I don't have any ego about that type of thing. I'm, I'm super yeah. pretty well of my stuff. But yeah. no don't just send emojis. emoji. Yeah, yeah. Like just something no. constructive as well. You know, do the whole sandwich of something really nice. Sad. <laughs> oh, yeah, it makes me really sad because Jill and I were talking about this last month. She's getting ready to release a book that I've been begging her to release for years, and she's doing it, and I'm beyond thrilled. And she's bracing herself. She said yeah. that if she didn't do these specific edits, half the people would be mad. If she did these specific edits, the other half of the people would be mad. And she's like, either way, I have to brace myself for angry people. And that just makes me so sad because you guys have these beautiful storefronts and Mm. people think you're this conglomerate and that they're just sending an email into the void, but they're not. They're sending it to a person, a person. They're sending it to Anthony or to Jill. And these are people who are working really hard to bless a lot of people and to make ends meet for their families. And it just it isn't fair. So if you guys are listening and you're thinking of sending vomit emojis to people or <laughs> just please, don't please do. <laughs> say three nice things for every unpleasant <laughs> thing. This is a good rule of thumb. Say, I loved this about it. What do you think about this? Maybe That's not. it. And, and yeah, I, I mean, I, I actually feel bad because um, some of the criticism that Jill has had to face has been books that I passed on to her when I... I had the contract I'd sent to the people mm-hmm. and I just wasn't quite prepared to sign it because I knew I couldn't handle that backlash. And then I see her getting down yeah. when she's facing it. And I mean, I'm glad oh. that the book is available again, but I feel bad right. that I, I palmed yeah. that off onto her knowing that it would happen. <laughs> oh. <laughs> um, yeah. yeah. So, um, she, she doesn't go in blind. She, she doesn't. But, I mean, it, it's steel, but it still hurts. <laughs> Yeah. We we comfort each other at times and just you know it's yeah. all right. <laughs> it's it's a minor. It's it's a tiny. It, it yeah. is infinitesimal the uh, amount of that kind of thing. My yeah. s- the support I get is so overwhelming. I almost cry sometimes. I'm so touched mm-hmm. by the support and love that is shown to me. I'm I'm a, yeah. just sent in a Kickstarter to do Charlotte Mason audiobooks. And I had a reader I thought was good and another that was okay and then six that went from blah to blah. But I, <laughs> I put up all the samples just to get see what people thought. Um, mm-hmm. I'm a male homeschooling dad in Australia. 
Um, so I don't <laughs> presume to know what primarily female <laughs> Charlotte Mason mums in yeah. mainly America but also around the world would like. Mm-hmm. And so I, I put up a survey and there was – you basically just had to tick which ones you would listen to and if there was one favourite, why. And then you could also optionally give extra comments or say if there was some you particularly didn't like. Yeah. And I got about 330-something responses in 24 hours. 95% of them gave detailed answers on the ones that weren't quite like almost every single reader, what they liked, didn't like, which one were their favourites, any tips for other things that the... The support that I got from that was incredibly, incredibly overwhelming. I had yeah. no expectation of getting anywhere near that many responses, let alone that many detailed responses. So I, I, yeah, people are delightful for the most part. And the ones who had negative things to say about readers, like I anonymized it also as reader one, reader two, blah, blah, blah. And I don't know any of the readers. I have a, a production manager helping me sort all mm-hmm. that side out. But they're like, I don't mean to sound critical, but I thought that uh, like they, every time there was something negative being said, there was so yeah. many disclaimers about I'm just saying this to try and make sure the product's the best possible. Right. And people are the same when they send me typos, like, I hope you don't mind, but I found a couple of typos and I was wondering if you would like me to send them through to you. Like, yeah, absolutely, mm-hmm. <laughs> send them. I appreciate yeah. it. But pe- people yeah. for the vast majority are absolutely incredibly delightful and supportive and lovely and I am so lucky. Uh, so about the audiobook reader, did the survey you did help you pick an audiobook reader or was it pretty much the one you were... It was the one that I had picked. I, um, okay. Th- this lady, so she... Um, validated. It was. It was really nice <laughs> and, and overwhelmingly validated at that. I mean, yeah. she's done... She does audiobooks for the Royal National Institute of the Blind and voiceover for commercial stuff for Google and BBC and the, you know, <laughs> Oxford oh, University wow. Press. Um, she's nice. she's in the um she was in one of the Mission Impossible films just in a, in a small role and she's in the Vikings film that's at the cinema at the moment. Um, she's and her mother taught at a PNEU school, uh, so she oh, was already familiar cool. with Charlotte Mason and everything. So that was fantastic. Yeah. And but she also agreed to read for the children's sake, just as preparation to really have a grasp of the overall vision of Charlotte Mason before really pursuing the audiobooks. So that's amazing. She's going to do an amazing I, job. I always wonder with audiobook readers if they ever feel that the course of their life has been changed by anything that they've read for yeah. their profession. You know, like if this will have some impacts in her life becoming this familiar with Charlotte Mason as she's going to through reading them. It's it's fascinating thought, isn't it? And whether even if we realize how much these things influence us, I, I think yeah. sometimes, often they do without us even being conscious of it. Yeah, Whether we're yeah, just more absolutely. aware of different things or whatever it mm-hmm. is, it's, it's great. Okay, so I think I realized what I was going to ask you, but I've decided it's a whole new podcast in and of itself. So our goal, if you are willing, is to just have you back to have a further conversation later. And do you just do you have anything else that you wanted to share about your projects and what you're working on? I'm not sure when this episode's going to air. It might air in the middle of your Kickstarter for the Charlotte Mason 
yeah. audiobooks, but it might air at the end. If it's at the end, everyone go order one. If it's during the <laughs> Kickstarter, check out the Kickstarter and support hey. what Anthony's doing. Yeah, why don't you no, tell us the you. dates of the Kickstarter so we've got it on here? Yeah. Okay, so in my true ADHD manner, the, the mm-hmm. dates are as soon as they approve it, I will send out, yeah. hey, I'm going to be starting it in 24 hours, <laughs> and there's a 24-hour early bird special. <laughs> and okay. Then just because the narrator is going away for a holiday for a month and so I'm trying to get as much done before she goes away as possible. Yeah. We've scheduled our timeline based on her starting after she's back as well as allowed some extra time. But, you know, she can get you know three or four weeks in beforehand as well. That'll get us well and truly on target. So yeah, we will send awesome. out that information in a newsletter. Which, so, yes, yes I, I apologize. Yeah. I, I can't remember. No. It's like me and, and planning things. I find every time I plan something, something throws a spanner in the works and I get all disappointed because I can't do it on plan. And so I just yeah, have things ready and, and go as I can. I think it I've is. spent enough years not, I've spent enough years not telling my kids anything's going to happen until it's happening yep. because yes. they don't handle disappointment very well. Yeah, that's and it. It hurts. And so that's just how I am in my life now. It's like, Will you commit to this? No, but I might show up. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Exactly. Yep. <laughs> and then you'll be pleasantly yep. surprised. <laughs> or not. <laughs> you know. Yeah, or not. As the kids may be. My that's thought it. is always under promise, over deliver. That's my Absolutely. goal. So. Oh, and, and that's I, I love that Amazon does that so often. You know, your package is expected by the 10th of June. And then, hey, it's the third tomorrow and it's arriving. <laughs> Yay! Yep. <laughs> and then you forget the fact that you were supposed to get it in two days in the first place. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Exactly. <laughs> so oh, what's going on? I've got, uh, this afternoon is going to be spent me going through and checking over another one of the He Went With books by Louise Andrews Kent, which yes, was a mentioned Alexandria request. I'm getting the cover images coming through and the publisher has approved my fonts and layouts and, and all the rest. So I'm You're just so uh, excited. Working my way through those. Hopefully they will be out by, I mean, uh, hopefully the end of the month. Um, so Great. that's probably what now I've gotten the, the Kickstarter sort of filed you away. I can move on the, to next. You keep saying the end of the month. So for people When listening, I say the end of the month, it's yeah, June. June. It's, it's June. June. <laughs> 2022. Yes. Um, we, we have episodes already recorded. So this might get released in July. So. That's right. So, so they may already they be out. available already. Surprise. <laughs> oh, that's old news. Yeah. yeah. Tell me something I don't know. (laughs) One star. (laughs) Waste of time. (laughs) What do you have coming out in September? That'll be something new. (laughs) Uh, Exactly. Oh, that's funny. Amanda, before we go, do you have any uh, sheep or goat questions that Anthony might know the answer to? Yes, real quick. How do you get your sheep to follow you? Okay, if I'm... If I've thought ahead, I have a bucket with some like sheep nuts, like the pellet things, and give that a shake, and they're yeah, pretty good at following. Help. Yeah, I, I need that's starting not to work so well for us because we're not prepared, and they've caught on that we usually just chuck rocks in the bucket and shake that, trying to get them to follow. I have treats, but it doesn't seem to... I always, always, always give them treats, and sometimes they put molasses in it, and they still won't follow me for it. You're spoiling them too much, I think. Like, oh, it's only that much molasses. <laughs> I like a two-to-one molasses ratio, woman. I'm, I'm not going to budge. That's the problem. Too much That's molasses. Uh, it no, touched the know. grass. It must be in my bowl. 
<laughs> yeah, you, you spoil them. Um, no, so ours, ours are pretty good like that. I think. That's the I think they just, yeah. I wanted the gold bowl. <laughs> That's it. Exactly. <laughs> Yes. These are the home brand pellets. <laughs> you can't fool me. So no, I'm sorry I don't have more more advice there. Um, but yeah, ours are pretty good at following with the with the bucket. Maybe I do spoil them, but when they do follow me, they come and sit in my lap. That's very so sweet. Cute. That's really That's sweet. Awesome. You nice. love that. We've got a couple of goats that are ready to kid, so we've been bringing them into the stable at night. Well, we were until my wife started doing a bit of research, and we've got a like a sort of four foot diamond python in our shed at the moment, and it's Ugh. great for keeping the rat population down. But Missy's been having nightmares about it strangling the the baby kids. Yeah, and I would so I too. So I spent yesterday building a box to put a heat lamp in. So hopefully the the snake will move into that and we can rehome rehome it. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, we don't have that's a good. We team. don't have snake problems here. <laughs> yeah. One nice thing about Iowa. Yeah. yeah. No, no, no snakes. <laughs> no. Nope. I'm like, so casual about this. I'm like. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'll, I'll send you guys a picture later on. It's they're gorgeous. These ones are absolutely beautiful. It, it's not so it's fun nice when you though. go to get your tools though, and there's like furry ma- um, snake scat all over your tools because it's oh. curled up on them for the night. <laughs> I think I'm okay oh. with Iowa. Yeah, <laughs> my kids love that um, Outback cartoon movie that came out. Back to the Outback, I think. Oh that yes, is specifically about you know, dangerous Australian animals and then they think that they can talk with an Australian accent. Oh, crikey, mate. My, yeah. <laughs> and the worst is Bluey. So we love Bluey. It's so funny for adults too. It's beautifully it's so done. <laughs> slow and beautifully done. But my 10-year-old, he's autistic, so language is not his strength. But he's the connection that he's made is that you can turn any word into an Australian word by just adding E at the end. So instead of calling it breakfast, it's brekkie. So like that's his Yeah, his yeah, shorten it and put E in. Yeah, for, yes. That will work. So he's he started calling popsicles poppies. Yes, and then that's good. Earlier today, I wish I could re- Oh, he started, he tried calling his cookie cookies and I'm like, "No, you can't have a cookie." That's it. No, no, no. It's So cookie has got to change to bicky. Right? That's a bicky. Yeah, um <laughs> So, uh, oh, and if he really wants to talk Australian, just tell him not to enunciate anything properly and talk really lazily, <laughs> like from the front of his mouth. So you're not really actually saying anything too right, but like you're just carrying on. And th- and that's basically the the secret of of talking real Aussie. Just be lazy. Don't I'll, I'll let him know. I'm sure he'll appreciate uh, it. Well, thank you so much, Anthony, for your time. And really all been my pleasure. Information. Lovely to chat. Yes. We really appreciate it. And we will definitely have you back for some completely unrelated conversation that we, we want to talk with you about. And so thank you everyone for joining us today. If you would like to check out Anthony's store or any of the books that we've mentioned today, they will all be linked in the show notes. And if you want to support what we're doing, you can click like or follow or leave a comment or review. We would really appreciate it. So we hope you all have a great day. And remember that the stories are truer than true. And go drink some water. Bye.